Good morning. Please join us in our opening song, At the Cross. You'll find it on number 301. At the Cross, number 301. seated for our call to worship this morning. Call to worship this morning is Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the empty hath persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness 
as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, sailor. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble, and of thy mercy cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. Amen. What a prayer. What a beautiful prayer. And now let's continue to worship the Lord, the great giver, singing about amazing grace, number 299.
let us pray. Lord God, we've gathered in your presence here this morning to worship you. We pray that you would move among us. We know that you are here. We pray that you would block out all distractions and and, and anything that would disrupt our total focus on you. Help our eyes, ears, and hearts to be open to that which you hope to accomplish in us through the music, through the prayers, and by your word. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. And thank you. Um, You may be seated, but uh, continue to hold your songbooks because we're going to do a responsive prayer of confession this morning. It's in the back of the book. It's number 657. Uh, It's all based on scripture. James, John, and the Psalm of David. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then, after the life has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when he made his whole ground, gives birth to death. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice the Lord you righteous. Sing all Amen. I think there's not much more needs to be said after that. It's all from scripture and it's all so true. And You know, part of the message this morning from Ezekiel on the Holy Spirit just has to do with sometimes how little we understand of ourselves. But when we come to acknowledge our our need of God and we put our total trust in the work of Jesus Christ and surrender ourselves to God, then we will be okay. Let's continue to worship him with two songs from Sing Joyfully. Number 437, Nearer My God to Thee. 
And number 448, higher ground. Shall be nearer my 
seated for the reading of God's word this morning. Scripture reading this morning is Ezekiel 36, 24 through 36. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people. And I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanliness. And I will call for the corn. And I will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field. Excuse me, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God, 
be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, In the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the wastes shall be builded. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they say, This land that was so desolate is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and the desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, built the ruined places, and plant they that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Amen. Amen. I love that last uh, declaration. Well, let us again take our Sing Joyfully books and turn in the back to uh, the Nicene Creed. I happen to think this is the most complete creed. And even though I'm supposed to have a pretty good memory, I still haven't memorized all of it yet. But it's good to just say it over and over again. So, number 626, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. It's true. That's what amen means. It's actually a Hebrew word meaning truth, steadfastness, all those good things. Well, now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, 
we thank you for our passage this morning. And the more I have hung out in it, the more I realize how much it summarizes all you have revealed about yourself and us from Genesis to Revelation, Moses to John. We are too much ignorant of our bent to sin and the idols that we allow to eclipse you in our hearts. May the Holy Spirit open all our eyes, ears, and hearts this morning. And when we finally grasp some of our need, because we are incapable of always doing good, may we also have a deeper appreciation of your gifts of grace and your strong, life-changing love, all of which is summarized and embodied in the word made human and who promise that you would put your spirit in us and you have done that. Your spirit is now in us. Thank you. And we pause to reflect on this gracious gift. We pray for our town, state, nation, the world. And please help that Middle Eastern truce to be upheld. We know this is all part of the prelude to your return. And so therefore help those of us who are here today to work, to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus by knowing and doing your will for us. It seems like our national government's a mess with all three branches um, seeming to be in conflict. Therefore, please keep working in the hearts of all, of all of our leaders. We do thank you for some positive results on a state-by-state basis. Now, we live in Massachusetts and sometimes it feels like spitting in the wind But because all things are possible with you, we pray for our state of Massachusetts as well and for our town. We pray for your church around the world. We have a true family everywhere. Thank you. And we pray for ourselves in your body. We pray for Allie and for her family. We pray for Joe and his family. We pray for John and Pat and their family. We pray for Christine. We pray for her mother, her brother Steve and his wife Annie and their children. Father, we pray especially this morning for Cindy and Jeff. Also Doris and and Peter and Linda and his mom and Billy and Norgy. And we pray uh, for uh, their extended family, including Linda's sister and nephew. We pray for Ken and Rob, and we pray for Ray and Nancy and and their whole big family. We pray for Francis. We pray for Debbie, Jessica, and Brian. And Father, I lift up a special prayer for Noel's father, 
for Charlie and Kurt and Dory and Sally and Jimmy and Elin and so many people, all of our family. And we pray especially for Griff. It's been almost 11 months since his wife went home to you. But we thank you that he got some closure yesterday. But it must be hard for him after more than 51 years, as he put it, it's no longer Griff and Holly, it's just Griff. We pray for your word in our hearts. May we all be changed and brought closer to you to do more of your will when we walk out of this door today. And if there is anyone here not yet fully surrendered to you, we pray that this will happen today or come closer to happening. And now we come to you with with one heart and one voice in the words of the prayer that Jesus taught to his followers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now before we dig deeper into God's word, in light of what we've already heard about it, let us sing number 410, Cleanse Me. Oh, 
seated if you aren't already. Well, here are two truths of many about God. First, he is a giver, a giver. And secondly, he desires people to grow closer to him, into a closer relationship with him. And this is done in large part by giving up distractions that in, are in our life. We can only grow closer to God and hear me if we know by experience, not in our mind, not from things people have told us, but know by experience his strong, life-changing love. Now, think about positive relationships you have had in your life. And it is my great hope that everyone has one or more of these to think about. I'll start with parents and children because we all had parents. Now, being a former foster parent, I know not all parents are good. But ideally, what happens is as parents give much time to their children and share themselves with their children in both word and example, and I feel blessed that I had two parents like that, different but like that, a strong bond of love develops. And this love that comes from shared uh, experiences in their relationship, okay? So that's one way that love can develop. It involves giving, it involves time. The same thing can be true of friendship. But sometimes friendship can be on a deeper level than the parent-child family relationship. And I think of uh, a joke that's true that my dad always said, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Okay? Now, um, as I said, and I got ahead of myself, in these relationships and others, giving, giving to one another is the best way to build a strong love, okay? And the bond that results in human love because of giving actually comes from the fact of the great love that God gives to all people and wants them to experience, especially those people who receive his love. Now, this is Pentecost Sunday. It is the seventh Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. And if we were to count Easter in, that comes to 50 days. And that's why it's called Pentecost. Penta is 50 in Greek. Okay, now on that first Pentecost Sunday, and we touched on it in the Nicene Creed, the Father in Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on 120 disciples who were in the midst of a 10-day prayer meeting. Now, when Jesus came to earth, and we remember that every year at Christmas, quite literally, he became God with us, took on a human body, and he lived with people. That's one thing. 
But now, on the first Pentecost Sunday, something better happened. And here's the reality of this blessed age in which we live. All disciples of Jesus can now know God in us. Now, some Bible scholars will dispute this, but now, without a doubt, God can be in us and always. And what I know from now being in my 43rd year of walking with God and spending time in his word and praying, I submit to you this is the greatest gift that God has ever given. I don't have time to elaborate on that. Now, as Peter would later write after Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit was spoken of through the prophets starting some seven centuries before it happened. But going back another seven centuries to about 1450 BC, you may remember this result in the book of Numbers, what happened. God had told Moses to choose 70 elders to help him. And these elders were filled with the Holy Spirit and there was evidence of this and Joshua got jealous for Moses' sake. But do you remember what Moses said? He told this to Joshua, would that all of Yahweh's people were prophets and he would give his spirit to all people. That was a wish that all people may have God's spirit in them. And then, as I said, you've got Isaiah and Joel and other people, the seventh century before Christ came, writing prophetic words that there would come a time when God would put his spirit into people. But I think the best passage is the one we heard read this morning from Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel means strengthened by or strengthened of God. And what is so good about this is it tells us why he graciously gave his Holy Spirit to be in his people. It was so that they would walk with him in his ways, in an intimate relationship. So now let's look at this passage in Ezekiel. There's two large parts to it. And it's front-loaded, okay? It finishes strong, but it's front-loaded. So the Lord will restore and cleanse his people, giving them his spirit to walk in his ways, and then they will be in a close relationship with him, And oh yeah, added bonus, they'll be given much food. So the first thing has to do with this gift of the spirit. The Lord will gather his people to their land, cleanse them from idolatry, give them new heart and spirit, and then also give them his spirit to walk in his regulations and keep his justice. That's a high level summary. Let's look at it line by line. First of all, and I have taken you from the nations and I have gathered you from all the earth and I have brought you into the land. Now, if you go back and read chapter one, you will see that Ezekiel was called to prophesy and he began to prophesy during the first Babylonian captivity 
which was a good seven years before the temple was destroyed, but he was already among God's people, the first to be carried away. Okay? But part of his call, if you read this whole book, was to offer hope to God's people in exile that when the 70 years of discipline prophesied through Jeremiah, who was a contemporary, were fulfilled, they would come back to the land. And now I've got to tell you something that maybe some of you have heard something about. But there's a thing in prophecy, and translators don't know what to do with it. There were a lot of wills in the King James Version, but literally the Hebrew is in the prophetic past tense. Now, you know, this is a deep theological subject, but I think most people who know God and know his word, understand that God has a plan and his ultimate plan cannot be thwarted. And what God has said is as good as done. And some of these promises that are future to us, God puts them in the past tense because he says, I know this will happen and I want you to act as if I've already done it. That's called the prophetic past tense. And he says, I have sprinkled on you clean water, and you have been cleansed from all your uncleanness and all your idols. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. Now, this is interesting. This is a true future tense. Now, when it comes to idolatry, most of us are ignorant of our idols, and how they make us filthy in God's eyes. Let me give you a short definition of idolatry. Anything, anything that we love more than God, even for just an hour, that's an idol. If I'm honest with myself, and and I talk with God about this every morning, There's not a day that doesn't go by when I don't engage in one or two idols a day. Sometimes I can get so caught up in a ball game, I forget that God is with me and that God is there. Or sometimes I can have some job that I'm doing that I get so caught up in, I forget about God. And the danger is anything that can grab our attention and take it away from an awareness that God is with us, has the potential to be an idol. Idols are subtle, and we don't always understand them. But here God inspires Ezekiel to tell his people that in the future, he will cleanse them from their idols, removing the filth of these idols. Now, all these other things he speaks about as if they're already accomplished and in the past tense. But he's saying this idolatry issue will be dealt with in the future. I think that's because idols are so pervasive and so dangerous. In fact, it is the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal. Okay. Then he says, and I have given you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I have removed the heart of stone from your flesh and have given you a heart of flesh. Now, this word flesh is used in a wide variety of meanings here. But the covenant God giving a new heart as soft as human flesh, that's what he means. I mean, 
you know, just look at the contrast between flesh and bones. And, and again, I could say a lot about that, but I won't. But uh, God knew what he's doing. We can enjoy a hug because our skin is on the outside, not our bones. So what he's saying is, I will soften your heart. Okay. And then after I remove this hard as stone heart from out of your body and under your flesh, then you will be a new person. And I want to say something about this. Because I still hear it from time to time, and sometimes I don't address it directly with an individual. There's only one God in one covenant. God never changes. The new covenant is just an extension of the old covenant and vice versa. Understand, this promise was made in what is called the Mosaic Covenant but it still was a reality, okay? And it was and is, going back to my opening remarks, a gift of God's grace, this newness, okay? And again, this new spirit replacing the dead spirit all people are born with that we have at birth. It was future to Ezekiel mostly in just this sense, It was totally fulfilled on Pentecost some 600 years later. He continues, and my spirit I will give in you, and I have done it that. In my decrees you will walk, and my justice you will guard, and you have done this. So here it is. This is like the climax already. It's coming early. God in us, okay? The covenant God gives an awesome, awesome word of promise to his people. His spirit will be in them. This is a new and wonderful thing. And then he says, having done this, another past tense future, they will walk in the decrees that he gave for right living, his regulations. He gave these through Moses. And then they will guard his justice so all people will be protected. Again, this could be a whole mini teaching. But I know this word is scripture. It's in the NIV in at least four Psalms. What we're talking about here is equity, not equality the way people think of it. And and think about that when you have some time. But in essence also, God is saying something very exclusive here. Only people who have his Holy Spirit in them can live by all the instruction for life that he gave through Moses. The rabbis counted over 600 instructions. We can't do them on our own only with God's spirit in us and being led by that spirit. Now, they will also, anticipating the next section, walk in a close covenant relationship with him, having the Holy Spirit. Hear me on this Pentecost Sunday. It's the only way to walk with God. We can't do it in our own strength and in our own ability. Next, they will live in the land he gave them, and there's no other way to put this in one word, but they will be intimate with him. 
Remember, parent, child, husband, wife, these are all used as metaphors for what it means to know God. He will save them from uncleanness and give them much food so they will not be taking famine in front of the nations. Now, again, line by line, you have dwelt in the land which I gave your fathers. And you have been my people, and I will be your God. And here it is, the covenant heart, the heart of God, the heart of all of Scripture going back to Moses. And what he's telling them, following up on the first part, is this covenant intimacy was broken by their idolatry, and they've lost the benefits of their relationship with God. But... He gives his word. He will restore this intimate relationship that he desires to have with them. I've given you some scriptures, some handful of scriptures in here. But there's this truth that's just over and over and over again throughout scripture. This is God's heart. I will be your God and you will be my people hand in hand, side by side, following God in Jesus Christ. And then he says, I have saved you from all your uncleanness, and I have caught grain and made it abundant, and I will not give famine upon you, and I have made abundant the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field that you will never take again the evil of famine among the nations. That's maybe one of the longest sentences in scripture. But the key word here is salvation. And understand, this is a full salvation. So many Christians, and I'm afraid especially Protestants, diminish what God means by salvation. This is salvation of our body, of our soul, and of our spirit. The whole human being. And it's into a right relationship with God. It's not a one and done. It's just a continual growing into a closer and closer relationship with God over time. And it's available now, not just to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to everybody who is in Christ Jesus by faith. And oh yeah, by the way, once they've been cleansed by God, they will have an abundance of all kinds of grain and fruit, not a famine. He says, when they are restored to this close personal relationship with him, with God, by having his spirit in them, they will never again be disciplined by famine before the nations. Instead, God's people will be a witness to the nations of what he created all people to be. But again, having the Holy Spirit is the only way to walk with God. Okay, part two. Now we really get into the nitty-gritty of the God and human relationship as it is now. They remembered their evil ways. They loathed themselves, knowing that God's gifts are not earned But the Lord says he will cleanse them and the land become a garden so the nations will know 
He did it. Okay? God's people remember their evil ways and abominations and they loathe themselves because they are to know that his gifts are not for their sake. And they must also, these are commands, be ashamed and confused. This is, again, a heavy duty. Two verses about human depravity, the reality that we have all sinned and we can't save ourselves. After all this good has been done and the spirit has been given, you've remembered your evil ways and your not good deeds and been made to loathe yourselves for your iniquities and abominations. You see, there was a reason for this 70 years of exile away from the land that God had promised to them. It caused them to remember their evil ways and that we are not totally good in our own strength. So as they remember, they are to detest their twisted desires that have led them to do abominable deeds before their covenant God. We must learn to detest our own abominations. This is a key phrase. It's not for you, okay? Human pride makes us think, and how many times have we heard people say this or maybe said it ourselves? We deserve something from God. Well, it's true. No one is all bad. And that's not what the doctrine of depravity means. It's not that somebody's all bad. But the truth is we have to realize anything any person has is a gift from God. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's all of grace, God's amazing grace. We sang that this morning. Then he says, this will be known. When they are finally made to know, and I think this has happened to every one of us who's truly come to Christ and begged for forgiveness and been filled with the Holy Spirit, we come to a point where we are made to know the conviction of the Holy Spirit in John 16, that the new heart in God's spirit, these are gracious gifts. And this causes us to remember our evil idolatry and to be ashamed of our abominable deeds. And then God drives the point home. He tells them, if you still think you deserve me, if you still think you can do it on your own, be ashamed and confused. And we can only be ashamed and confused when we receive the gift of humility and we humble ourselves before God. But now we come, we're building up towards the end of this passage and the climax. The Lord says, I will cleanse your iniquities and I will cause the cities to become inhabited and the desolate will be like a garden and the nations will know I did what I said. I did what I said. Thus says the Lord covenant God, Inonai Yahweh, in the day that the cleansing of you from all of your iniquities. Okay, when God, when, when, when the master of God's people, thus says the Lord, when he speaks this way, they are to listen. Okay, 
Now, God goes on and he says, on that day, I cleanse you from all iniquity. The day is coming when he will cleanse them of all iniquity and us as well. This is the day they will get this new spirit as a result of being given his spirit to be in them. Now, there's two synonyms for iniquity, okay? To put it mildly, it's a twistedness, you know? Have you ever heard somebody say you're a little twisted? To put it bluntly, iniquity is perversion of every type, okay? But what a promise that God has made here to be cleansed of sin and iniquity by the gift of God's new spirit, his spirit bringing our dead spirit to life, bringing us into a relationship. So there's another wonderful thing here. God's promise to give a new spirit to cleanse us from everything that is sinful. And then he says, I've made the cities to become inhabited and waste places will be rebuilt. So again, the Babylonians came and basically raised everything, took it down to the ground, burned Jerusalem, burned the temple, burned everything. But these cities being rebuilt are especially including Jerusalem. And I finally looked that up. Somebody asked me, what does Jerusalem mean, Jerusalem? It means the teaching of peace. And when we come into God's presence in his temple, he teaches us the way of peace. And then he continues, the land that is being made desolate shall be worked where it had been desolate in the eyes of all the nations, all those people passing by. And they have also said, the land being desolated has become like the Garden of Eden. Now, again, sometimes God has to repeat things to get our attention, to make a point. He inspired Ezekiel to use the verb desolate four times and the noun once for a total of five times. This is what it's like if we choose to live apart from God. But when they receive the gift of God's spirit, They must never forget, and sometimes I have. I used to always say, because I know how how, how wrecked my life was before I knew God, how near to real death I had come. I hope I never forget how bad I was without you, but sometimes we do. We must never forget that the life we used to live was a result of acting on our own, apart from God, thinking we knew better than God. Now, the word is literally, the land is worked or served. But what does it mean? It means they were cultivating the land. Think back to Genesis 2. The work that God gave to the very first person was to cultivate the land. God is going back to the beginning before any sin came into the world. And then just in case they didn't get his point, He says, like the Garden of Eden. In other words, maybe they didn't catch that allusion to Eden. Now he comes right out and says it. It'll be like you're back in the garden again. The waste cities being desolated and ruined 
are being fortified. So God's already beginning to fortify them and they have been inhabited. In other words, and I kind of chuckled when I heard the King James, God is building a spiritual fence. That's the word King James uses around these now vacant cities. So his people will be protected by him when he brings them back after 70 years of captivity. And this future habitation of God's people in the land, again, it's in this prophetic past tense. It is so certain, he says, take it as if it's already happened, even though you wait 70 years for it. Again, this will happen because of God's gift of his spirit to his people to be in his people And as he's already said, then they'll be able to walk, to live in obedience to all of his covenant stipulations and enjoy him. What does joy come from? Surrendered faith to Jesus Christ. Having the Holy Spirit is the only way to walk with God. Now, three three quick things in the last verse. The nations which will be left around you have known the nations will know. This, this is so cool. Remember, I said this passage takes into account all of Scripture. When the people of the nations, who are the nations? Who are these people, these goy? Those who do not know the experience of God's grace and his strong love, which transformed their twisting and confused lives so that they have a new spirit from God's spirit being given to them. When these people who haven't had this experience, when they see what God has done for his now spirit-filled people, they will take notice. What does this anticipate? Jesus' last command for his disciples to make disciples of all people, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. This is an Old Testament foreshadowing of the Great Commission that I, the covenant God, have rebuilt, rebuilt the ruined places and replanted those places being desolated now. There's a final reversal, and this is so much like God. You know, he can do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. Not only does God make sinful people new, he rebuilds and he replants. And here's the last word, and may we never forget it, and I pray that we can experience this and build our lives on this foundation. What Yahweh... The covenant God says he is certain to do. He gives his people his spirit. This was fulfilled at Pentecost. Why? So that they and we can walk in all of his ways as given from Moses to Malachi and now all the way through John. Having the Holy Spirit is the only way to walk with God. Let's quickly summarize this passage. The covenant God will restore and cleanse his people, giving them his spirit in them to walk in his ways, and this is it, to have a close relationship with him. 
But first, and this is where the conviction of the spirit comes in, they will remember their evil ways and abominations. So they will know this gift of salvation through Jesus and God's spirit was not because of what they did. We can't do it on our own. And then finally, he will restore them to Eden, paradise. Eden means literally delight. So the nations will know that he has done what he said. Having the Holy Spirit, it's the only way to walk with God. So I just want to leave us with that on Pentecost Sunday. I pray we all have the Holy Spirit deep within us, that we're aware of him and we're seeking to be led by him according to his word. And now for our last song this morning, before the benediction, let's sing 412, Draw Me Nearer. Again, it's all about our covenant relationship. Draw me nearer, nearer.
Amen. Our benediction, our, our good word this morning is from Titus. I just love that beautiful short epistle. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for everyone. The kindness of God, the mercy, the grace, it's his work. We just need to walk with him. In God's spirit, amen. Please join us in our last song, number 150, Spirit of the Living God, number 150. Oh